Hello there, nice to have you join me uh, today, and um, we're now part of the psychology report, and you are now about one of the 20,000 uh, hits that we have had on the program over the last uh, five months, and uh, we're growing in popularity, and uh, more and more people are contacting and connecting with the Psychology Report every day. So uh, we're up to about 20,000 at the present time. That isn't 20,000 people, that's the hits. So that's either new people or the same people over and over again. And But it represents a wide variety of people and an increasing number of people accessing the Psychology Report. Now today, I would like to... Um, introduce kind of a potpourri uh, regarding the lives of children. Uh, this is an important topic uh, to me, and I think to you as well. I got the idea for tonight's program uh, from a counseling session I had today with a mother who is in a divorced uh, situation, and uh, she has, or they have, uh, two children, one's about age 13 and the other one's uh, almost 15, 14, 14 and a half. And the mother reported to me today that she's facing a situation with her uh, ex-husband or her soon-to-be ex-husband regarding the pornography exposure for their son. And here we have a boy at about 14, 14 and a half years of age who apparently has shown little interest in pornography. And the father's position in which he related to the mother, was, well, every boy does it, and we're just, that's just part of normal development, so don't worry about it. It's no big thing. Well, that put the mother into orbit, and it put me into orbit. That is a big thing. Child molestation usually starts with pornography. Sexual misconduct usually starts with pornography. Marital dis, disabuse in the sexual realm is usually tied to a history of pornography. I mean, pornography is usually a beginning point for a great deal of the sexual inappropriate behavior and illegal behavior on the part of young boys who then become young men. So I oppose that kind of thinking. This is not something you pass off lightly by saying, well, he's just a 14-year-old, he's doing what 14-year-old kids do. Absolutely not. You put your foot down, you draw a line. Here's an area you do not have tolerance. Here's an area that you do not have political correctness. The answer is no. And you put on stops on the computer, you cut them off the Internet, you put on blocks, you do all the things you can possibly do to prevent a young kid entering into the world of pornography when he's young. 14 is not necessarily the youngest age, by the way. So, I think that really is a kicker. And if you're in a situation like that, you take it seriously. You take action. Do not allow such behavior to take place. Well, that then followed with a couple of uh, articles that I read. Uh, one is regarding um, the uh, development at the Rockland Academy School in Sacramento. It's a charter school. And if you remember, there was a kindergarten teacher 
just recently, who set up what she called a transition ceremony for a five-year-old kindergartner. Never told the parents, did not invite the parents to the ceremony, but just in her own class with her own students, did a transition ceremony that this little boy was now going to be a girl. And uh, proceeded to introduce the concept of transgenderism uh, in the school system. And the school allowed it. The school went along with this kind of thing. Well, you have a couple of violations there. Number one, the parents were never invited and never informed, never questioned, never interviewed, never even considered what their point of view would be on this. That's a violation in itself of parental rights. And number two is, at a five-year-old level, what does a kid know? The difference between boys and girls, the difference between being a boy as you grow up and become one as a young man, or you become a young woman. I mean, talk about putting confusion into a mind of a child. That's child abuse. And I think this teacher should be tried for child abuse and for parental disregard, or whatever the legal term, you know, it might be on that. You're two terrible, terrible infractions at that school. Rockland Academy School, Sacramento, the Treasury School. And um, written up in the Daily Wire, if you're wondering how you get a hold of that. But uh, this should not be the case. The teacher justified it on the basis that it's gender identity. And she was just teaching tolerance and diversity in the curriculum to the other students. Well, she denied that this was sex education. This is not sex education. One of the reasons you call it that is that there's greater freedom to teach tolerance and adversity and gender identity. They can do that anywhere in any subject at any time. Where sex education is much more prescribed and much more regulated and given them a certain amount of time in the curriculum and a certain place in the curriculum. There's a restriction on that. So, of course, the teacher did not want to call it sex education. Just want to call it tolerance and diversity curricula. <laughs> well, can you imagine that? Now, that was followed by another article by uh, Miss Harris. Camilla Harris. Now, Camilla Harris is a Democratic senator in California. And she's got this crazy idea that you should allow children to now advise the politicians of the day as to the issues and their concerns for their country. So that we should be now listening to our five-year-olds and to eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds about how to run a government. They should have a voice in government and we should be listening to them. As awful, all of a sudden now, we have nine-year-old kids or eight-year-old, whatever it might be, who have the wisdom to run a government, to advise the governmental officials as to what the issues are of the day. Well, maybe <laughs> there's a parallelism there between many of our politicians and a nine-year-old child. Maybe they think about the same. So there's one talking to the other. But putting that aside, here's a politician, here's a lady, democratic as she can be, once it would like to be, would love to be the next governor of California, and has this view that now we're going to open our government to children to advise us as to what our world should be like and what the issues of the day should be addressed and how we should address them. Children are not capable 
of such thinking, of such uh, kind of wise thinking, of such judgmental thinking. Children are not prepared to make those kinds of calls or judgments or assessments of what's going on in our world today. We live in a much more complex world than a nine-year-old can understand. Understand to the point, can advise us what to do. So, Miss Harris, you're way off the track. I don't know where you come from, but I certainly hope you don't end up the governor of California. Now, here's another thing. The, I came upon an article from the Journal of Pediatrics, which showed that children whose fathers are absent because of death or because of divorce or because they're incarcerated, you know, they're just absent from the child's life. Those children experience such stress, such high levels of stress, that their DNA actually undergoes a change. And there's Ptolemies, which are at the end of a DNA strand. And those actually grow in those children whose fathers are absent from their life and the stress levels associated with being fatherless. And that same kind of thing was shown um, when um, children uh, were uh, left alone, not just only with being fatherless, but being motherless as well. And having, you know, those kind of uh, absence in their life, particularly if a child has a father who is incarcerated. So we're seeing that high levels of stress in children, as measured by just the absence of a father, alters the DNA of that child and makes them then prone to ill health, makes them prone to having more medical and physical problems in life that they would have than they would have otherwise. Well, now from a positive point of view, another article came to my attention regarding children who participate in the taking their Bible to school day and um, not be ashamed of their faith. October 5 is uh, identified as Bring Your Bible to School Day. And uh, last year, something like 355,000 students across the country brought their Bible to school on October the 5th last year and are, are now poised to bring their Bible this year on October 5 to school, and many more will do that, obviously. We're going to have a multitude of more students that will bring their Bible to school on October 5th. The idea is don't be ashamed that you're a believer. Don't be ashamed that you believe in the Bible. Don't be ashamed you read the Bible. Don't be ashamed you have a Bible, and don't be ashamed that you carry a Bible and carry it well to school. Put it on top of your books. Put it on top of your desk. Read it at school. Read it during school time. But let yourself be known as a child or as a, as a, as a girl or as a boy whose Bible is important to you. October 5th is your day. Bring your Bible to school day. So be prepared for that, okay? Here's a little another piece of news. Seven-year-old California boy receives a home visit from the police department. <laughs> they come knocking at his door. Why? Because he shared Bible verses with his friend at school during lunchtime. 
So here's the school noticing that a child talks about a Bible verse to a friend, doesn't say anything to the child, doesn't say anything to the parent, but calls the police department and asks the police department to go and arrest the kid for doing that. Well, they didn't arrest him, but they put him on notice. Can you imagine that? Now, in high schools across the country, as you remember last year, graduation time, high school students were put on notice. Do not include references to God in graduation speeches. Do not include references to God in song sung at any graduation exercise. Well, many kids were very creative and did it anyway. And they did it in very creative ways. But you can just see what's going on in our schools today. Not only did we eliminate the Bible from the school many years ago, and we eliminated prayer from the schools long ago, but you can't even talk about the Bible, a Bible verse, or any reference to God whatsoever anymore. We've really gone a long way in removing faith in God from our public school system. No wonder our charter schools and our private school systems and our homeschooling system is growing in leaps and bounds. Bounds. We are, we are a, a culture where charter schools and private schools and home schools will continue to grow and be very attractive to many families and many children. And in other elementary schools across the country, the word got out that students were told not to read their Bibles during their free reading time at school. Now, in elementary school, there's often this kind of free reading time. But in elementary schools all across the country, the word was out. Do not let the children in school, during school time, read the Bible, even though it's free reading time in the school. That's what's going on in our schools, you know, today. Now, here's a good one. Here's another good one. It's called the Day of Restoration. You know, we have a large number of men in prison who do not see their children, cannot see their children. So basically, their children are fatherless, not because they committed crimes against the child or against children, but just because there's prison policies that children cannot visit when they're of a given age which deprives a child from exposure to his own father, even though the father may be very safe and be a very positive support person for that child. So there's an organization by the name, by the name of Forgiven Ministry. Forgiven Ministry. You can find their website, forgivenministry.org. Forgivenministry.org. Go to it. Look it up. And what they do is they sponsor a day in the prison system where the children can come in and visit their father. They call it One Day with God. That's what they call the day, One Day with God. And they open the prison doors and the children come in and are able to spend a day with their father, playing games, talking, touching, holding each other, hugging each other, gazing upon each other, just having that sense of father and child relationship. The very thing that children need. 
today when they are missing fathers. And we already know the research that children who do not have fathers or are missing fathers are much more prone to having social problems, much more prone to being in drugs, more prone to being in crime, and more likely to end up in prison themselves. <laughs> so here's a program that says, okay, kids, get ready. You're going to see Dad tomorrow. And they do this once a year. Well, you know, it led me to this thought. What would happen if a state such as California, with all the prisons that we have, designated one prison where, where the men who in that prison were deemed to be safe and could have access to their children, and their children could visit every week or every month and have physical contact with them as their father? whether that father is in jail for a year or 10 years or 50 years, at least that child would have the knowledge of having a father, having the feel of having a father, and having the father's love conveyed to him. I think that's a great idea. And uh, I wish we could do that in every state of the country. Designate at least one prison and move the men into there that are able to have visits with their children because they are deemed non-threatening and non-hurtful and um, welcoming for their children. So that's another program that's now taking place, and you know, look it up and follow that one a little bit, okay? <laughs> and then one last one is this. The Lutheran School in, in Missouri. It's a Trinity Lutheran school. And there was government money that they could obtain to fix the playground. The ground on the in the playground so it would become more safe for children. And all they had to do was to apply for funds. <clears throat> well, the Trinity Lutheran school applied for some funds. And they came in number five out of 44 applicants meaning that they probably did qualify to get those funds so that they could provide a safe playground for children and reduce the number of accidents and injuries in children during playtime. Well, what happened in Missouri was that they said they couldn't do that because they were a religious school and that they uh, could not qualify, that these funds were for public schools, but for no religious school whatsoever. Well, they took the case to the Supreme Court and won, meaning that those children were just as well able to have a safe playground as anybody else. So, look what it takes. Look what it takes to fight on behalf of your children and on, on the best interest of your children, the, the best uh, future of your children. Look what it takes it takes parents that will just get in there and fight. It takes states that will get in there and fight. It will take groups of people, take organizations that will get in there and be creative and develop programs on behalf of children. Our children are getting a rotten deal in life. And this political agenda on the liberal side of the aisle is not in the best interest of children. And we need to make sure that we do everything possible to be creative, to say what do our children need and then go and provide that for them.
Okay, well, this has been the Psychology Report. Hope it's been kind of an interesting little topic for you. And uh, go to my website, booksbyhedberg.com. I wrote the book, Doctor, Teach Me to Parent. Great book. Every time I read it, I, <laughs> I think it's pretty good. So, Doctor, Teach Me to Parent. Get it. If you're a parent, there's a great book for you to learn how to be a parent better and to deal with the issues of parenting and deal with issues common to every child. And uh, whether you're dealing with anger, you're dealing with depression in children, you're dealing with uh, shy children, or whether you're dealing with how to help them become uh, contributing members to society or learn patriotism or whatever it might be, there's some ways that you can help by just getting my book and following many of the directions that I give you from chapter to chapter. Dr. Teach Me to Parent. Website is booksbyhedberg.com. And bye for now.